Welcome to Twice Born Podcast. I'm Mike Bailey. If you haven't already, please go to the website twiceborn.net. If you would like to reach out, please email twicebornministry at gmail.com. Enjoy. How do we love God? How do we do that well? We see in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, and how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. And so many times the the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of Jesus' day would try to stump him. And they had all these 613 laws. They were trying to figure out which is the most important. And Jesus laid it down to these core principles of loving the Lord our God, the one God, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And as we've been going through this study, we've connected how Paul then teaches us we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that when God Uh, came to earth as a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, resurrected. He ascended to be with the Father, and as he ascended, the Holy Spirit descended to live within all of us, and we became the temple of the living God. And this correlation and this connection between us being the temple of God and us loving God well. And so as we look at this, I can't help but recognize that Paul, who tells us that we are like the temple of God, that he would go to the temple. He knew the temple much more, much better than we know the temple. We have pictures that artists have drawn, but we really don't have exactly what it looked like um, per se. And so here we have Paul's representation for us, and he's telling us, you are like the temple of God. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, being told you're the temple of God was one of those things that just went over your head, and you're like, that sounds great, that sounds important, but it's not really all that important to me because I got issues in my life, I got challenges in my life, I got things I want to do. What does me being the temple of God have to do with anything in my life? And so as we look at this, my prayer is, is that we would begin to see how God is revealing very powerful truths about who we are in him when his Holy Spirit dwells in us, how we can actually love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so as you remember, we've been looking at the temple, we've been looking at how that reflects us, and as we began, we looked at the one love for life. That there's one temple that you had to go to on the whole of the earth. There was one place. If you lived before Jesus resurrected, if you wanted to be right with God, you had to travel to Jerusalem and you had to go to the temple. Now, none of us would be able to get very far because we're all Gentiles, as far as I know. And so we would go to the temple and we'd get buy an offering and we'd give it and, and we would try to experience what that meant and, and try to learn from those that were there. But God was really direct, if you look at First and Second Kings, on how the temple was to be built. And it was very specific how it was to be laid out. And as we read and study those things, we see that the temple was, was very intricate in its building. And as we begin to look at loving God with our heart, 
we begin to see that the temple, the very first place we see in the temple, what makes the temple different than this building, this is not a temple, makes it different than your house, makes it different than any structure on earth today, is that the Holy Spirit of God dwelt there. The Holy Spirit of God dwelt in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And so we're told in Scripture that we are to confess with our mouths and believes in our hearts that God has been raised from the dead, that Christ has been raised from the dead, and that we will be forgiven of our sins. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit of God will then come and give us a new heart. This is so very important for us to all recognize. Um, I don't need my heart to be cleaned. I don't need my heart to be fixed. I need a brand new heart so that the Holy Spirit of God can come and live within me. And when we look at the temple, we see a place in the temple that the Holy Spirit dwelt that made it a structure like no other. It made it a unique, specific place that there's never been, and now we have become, and that is because the Holy Spirit of God dwelt, put himself, his presence was in that place. And so when we look at that picture on the screen, we're going to see that in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, next picture please, you're going to see these two cherubim, and the cherubim are these angels that are over the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, uh, you had uh, the staff and you had the Ten Commandments. And this was the place that the Holy Spirit dwelt. And once a year, only one person, one man, who was the high priest on the Day of Atonement, would make his way through the curtain that had the angels representing the fact that so much had to be guarded from sin because we are tainted with sin, that the Holy of Holies was a place that was only accessible one time a year by the high priest to bring in an offering to represent the atonement or covering of sins of the people. And this is a place, once the Holy Spirit dwelt here, was the place where God lived. It's where heaven and earth connected. It was where God resided. And as we moved our way out, we see that we are to love God with all of our heart, not our human fleshly heart, but the spiritual heart that God gives us when you are born again. This morning, if you've never in your life received the Holy Spirit into your life, you've never repented of your sin, meaning you've cast it away and turned away from it and said, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I believe you died for me, but I also believe you rose for me and I want to receive the gift of your eternal life, of your Holy Spirit to live within me. And that I now become the temple, the holy of holies, lives with inside of me. I would ask that you would consider to do that today if you've not already done that. That is God's plan for all of us. We are just dead vessels, broken dead vessels, without the holy of holies within us. If the Holy, holy, if the holy Spirit does not dwell in you as a temple today, you aren't truly how you, who you are meant to be. And so we're to love God with all of our heart. And that's really allowing him uh, to reveal himself and lead us and guide us and show himself through his Holy Spirit. But then we're also told to, to love him uh, with all of our soul. And as you move your way out of the Holy of Holies, you come into a room called the Holy Place. And in the Holy Place, it was surrounded with gold. And there were five menorahs on each side. And if you know the story of Hanukkah, you know how important those menorahs were. And then you had a table. And on that table was what was called showbread. And that was the bread that the priests would prepare as an offering to the Lord as a representation of fellowship. That when you break bread with someone, it means you're friends with them. Typically, you don't eat with your enemies, correct? 
How many of you sit across the table from someone you hate all the time? Don't admit that if that's true today. We break bread typically with our friends and family, with those that we have a good relationship with. If we don't have a good relationship, we eat in our room or outside or away from them so we don't have to look at them because that's how our human nature works. And so God has established within his temple a a table of showbread where bread is broken and at the end of Sabbath it was eaten by the priest and we told David came in and ate this bread. But it was important to recognize the fellowship we had with other people and the fellowship we have with God. And so this is a deeper level when I recognize I am the temple of God, that I am to have fellowship with God, and I am to have fellowship with others. And this table of showbread represents that so I can live that out. Uh, Before you enter into the Holy of Holies, there was an altar that had incense on it. If you know the story of Zechariah coming and praying and being uh, interrupted by an angel, you know that this is that place where the incense of prayer would go to the Lord. It was a sweet smell to the Lord. That prayer is a sweet smell to the Lord. Do you know what you're doing when you're praying? You're admitting that God is there. You're seeking him with your heart, with your soul, with your mind. You're speaking to the unseen, recognizing the unseen hears. And the unseen knows. And not only are you talking to the unseen, you're talking to the unseen as the ultimate authority. You're recognizing God as the ultimate authority. That I trust who I'm talking to. I believe this uh, God that I serve has authority over all things and is sovereign. And I trust as I bring my, my prayers to him that he receives them as a heavenly father and that he loves me. Do you know part of the Holy of Holy, the Holy of Holies, the Holy Spirit then saturating itself into the holy place is a strong, vibrant prayer life that in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, I have a sweet incense going to God through my prayers and that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a temple of God and this should be true of my life, that there is this prayer that emanates from me on a daily basis showing my love and dedication to my Savior. As you leave on the outside, this is very interesting, something I didn't know until I studied this. On the outside of both the Holy of Holies and the holy place uh, where hidden chambers were built. There were three floors of hidden chambers. This is where the priests would bring uh, the Torah. They would bring the sacred scriptures. They would bring the writings of the prophets, the writings of Moses. They would bring these these great uh, recordings of what God had done for the people. And the the reason for these secret uh, places was that they were to keep in remembrance of all the good things God had done to focus on those things and to remember those things and not to lose what God had done. But unfortunately, as we read through the Old Testament, the priests that were available to these areas began to bring false idols to Baal, false idols to false deities, that this became a corrupt area because it was hidden in secret. And we talked about our our loving God with our minds is dealing with these things that we've allowed, bitterness, anger, a false view of life, a prideful, self-centered view, anger about things that have happened to us, anger about things that haven't happened to us that we want to have happen to us. All of these things live in these secret chambers of our thoughts, and they're the things that quench the Holy Spirit. They're the things that keep the Holy Spirit from saturating every area of our life and then, and then investing into those around us. That these secret chambers that we, no one can see because they're within our thoughts, we hide things there. We hide darkness and evil and wicked thoughts and wicked uh, thinking of, of who God is and what he wants me to do. And we're told that we're to clean those out. 
that we submit our thoughts to the Lord, that we invite the Holy Spirit into every level of these secret chambers, that we say, God, you are worthy of every area. I want to love you with my mind. I want to invite you into my mind. I want to invite you to every thought that I have. I want to invite you to who I am. I don't want to have these dark thoughts. I don't want to have this evil that lives within me because I know that it quenches your Holy Spirit. Jesus said it's not from without that corrupts a man, it's from within. What comes from your mouth comes from your thoughts, comes from your heart. And these are the things that defile a person. And so we're to deal with our thoughts. If I'm to love God with all of my mind, it is to deal with these deep-seated thoughts, whether it's self-hatred or hatred for others, whether it's something I just can't let go of, something that I think about that is undermining me and destroying my walk with the Lord. We have to deal with those things. We have to sacrifice those things at the altar and ask the Lord to clean us of all this impurity that may live within our thought life. And then as we make our way out of the holy place, we go into a portico. And in that portico, there are two pillars. One is Boaz. One is Jaquin. Jaquin meaning uh, to build with or to establish with. And Boaz means strength. And we recognize for me to love God with all of my strength is to, to recognize that there are certain things only God can do. There's, there's a strength of the Holy Spirit, whether it's cleaning me of sin or revealing himself to others. There are things only the Holy Spirit of God can do, and I need to put my hope and, and, and belief in his strength. And then there are other things, like Moses and Abraham recognized, that God gives you a calling. He gives you a mission, and he expects you to use your strength, your human strength, to be obedient. So to love God with obedience is to obey those things he's called me to do to be faithful to the calling he's placed in my life. And so these two pillars represent the fact that there's the Holy Spirit of God's strength that's in my life, and he's called me within that strength to a mission in this life. And to not look to my own abilities, to not look to what others have said to me for my strength, but always to look to him as the one that strengthens me. And now as we make our way onto the, the temple court, this is a place only Jewish men were able to go. And as you see in the picture, you're going to see that there are five, on each side there are five basins for washing, for cleansing of hands, preparing for the things that were uh, to be done by the priests, whether it was sacrifices or prayer. On the front to the right as you entered, you would have the great altar, and this is where the animals were sacrificed. This was God teaching us, even thousands of years ago, that there must be shedding of blood for the, for the price of sin. There must be shedding of blood because blood gives us life. Blood is what makes us alive as beings. And our, our blood is tainted with sin. Our, 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 our blood is uh, completely filled with the disease of sin. And only through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, as he sacrificed his absolute pure blood, and he made that sacrifice saying, this is my new covenant. My blood pays for your blood. That this sacrifice was a re representation. So that before we can have the Holy Spirit in us as the temple, we must come to that sacrifice place and recognize Christ's sacrifice for us. On the left, you see a giant basin, and they would bring seawater, and underneath there were bronze um, oxen, and there were 12 of them to represent that God had made a promise to the 12 tribes that he would rise up someone who would save the world from their sins. It was a representation that God is faithful to his promises, that he will continue to do what he has done from the beginning, and that we can trust him. It's interesting to note the priests would wash their hands and do ceremonial washings. They would also do baptisms, a baptisms of cleansing for the people. 
And so as you entered into this temple court, you would recognize a sacrifice is needed for the Holy of Holies. You would recognize a cleansing, a baptism was necessary for me to be faithful to the Lord. And so we see this picture that we all know today, that I am to confess and be baptized and follow the Lord as my Savior. The picture has been there for thousands of years. And it is a picture of all of us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Has there been that time in your life where you've received the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the gift of eternal life? Have your sins been washed away by the cleansing of his blood? We sing these songs not because they sound good or bring good memories, but because of the power of the words. The words mean something. The words are eternal. They're, they're deep-rooted in absolute truths that we cannot deny. And so as we enter the temple, we recognize that for uh, infinity past to infinity future, God has been laying out his plan clearly for all to see. And we are his children. We are his temple. Now, it's interesting, as you make your way out of this area, you go through a gate into the court of women. Some people might say, well, that's pretty sexist. <laughs> Why, did, why couldn't they come in there? I tend to look at it and say, God is revealing to me that my closest relationship should be important to me. My mother, who passed away on March 29th, is someone that has impacted my life deeply and meaningfully, and I thank God every day that she was part of my life. I'm thankful for my father. These are the blood relationships that God put in my life. These are the people that impacted my life. My daughter Anastasia is named after my father's mother, my grandmother, a powerful woman of prayer. I recognize when I look at the court of the women, if I am the temple of God, I need to be concerned. I need to support. I need to be there for the closest people that God has put in my life. That the women, the men, the family members, the children, all of them matter deeply. That this is relational. That these people are important. God did not randomly put these people in your life. This is not by happenstance or chance. The God of the universe has given you your family, and he wants you to love them even when they're not always lovable. And so this court represents that relationship, that first relationship that we all have. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. He wants me to be a loving husband. He wants me to be a loving father. This is what matters to him, so it needs to matter to me. And then, where we get to our sermon for today, we go to the last area. It's called, if you can see it on here, the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles is where every person was available to come and to learn. In this court, we're told many things occurred. This is the court that Jesus would rend, uh, regularly teach at. And as he would teach at this, uh, this is the court where the Pharisees showed up with the woman caught in adultery. And remember, he got down and he wrote in the ground. Remember, he wrote in the ground what was written in the Holy of Holies. He wrote on the ground just like he wrote as he is God with his finger on earth. Something that was powerful. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. But we do know he wrote the Ten Commandments. And we do know as he stooped down that it impacted those Pharisees, those young men, and then the, old, the older men first, and then the younger men. It impacted them so much that they left. And what did he say? He said, if they don't condemn you, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. He showed love, and he showed forgiveness and gentleness to the person that needed it the most. 
We're also told that, that this is where uh, the disciples would gather, and this is where they would, in the early church, this is where they would meet and invite people to learn. We're told that Paul almost went, uh, was almost put to death because he invited someone who was a Gentile past the gate that he was supposed to into that inner temple. All of these things are part of the New Testament. Paul walked through this place. He participated in what was happening here. Jesus, this was part of his ministry, was to go to the temple. When he returns, where is he returning? The temple. Today, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that there's one God we're to love. We've talked about loving him with our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And then the final one that may be the most difficult for us is to love our neighbor as ourselves that we're to love the Gentile. We're to love those that we may find very unlovable. You know, I think it can be, as we think about this topic, it can be easy to think about loving God. It can be much more difficult about thinking of loving others and recognizing that when God looks at you and me, most of what he's looking at is how I treat other people. How I love others is a true reflection of how I love him. And so this makes it challenging. This topic, makes, uh, this topic is challenging for all of us. And so my question is, we go to God's word and ask him to speak to us this morning. Do you want to love God by loving your neighbor? Do you really want to love God by loving your neighbor? Because we're told in this great commandment that this is like the rest, that we're to love God. We're to love our neighbor like we love ourselves. Let's ask him to speak to us. If you'd pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you for this moment to gather here. And Lord, your word will not return void. Um, we ask your Holy Spirit would be the interpreter for us so that we could truly understand it. Lord, we pray that you would impact us, that you would motivate us, you would convict us of sin. And Lord, that as we have this talk, as we look to your word, that Lord, we would submit ourselves to you. And Lord, we would walk away even more committed to your kingdom work. Lord, I thank you for the grace you've shown us that yet while we were sinners, you died for us. And Lord, as we read these words and as we contemplate what you're teaching us, Lord, that we would not be hearers only, but we would be doers. And Lord, as we do, protect us because we know there is a true battle. We know that the enemy would love to destroy all of our lives and destroy our faith. And so we ask you to protect us. And Lord, we also ask that you would uh, encourage us as we know the day approaches when you will return. Help us never to forget that. Help us never to lose heart. Help us to be excited about the fact that you are coming in the clouds soon to establish your eternal kingdom. Lord, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin, we look at Jeremiah chapter 7, and this is the issue of the, the Old Testament. This is what was happening in that temple that I just shared with you. This was the problem of the beginning. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all the people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. The same gates we just discussed. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, 
If you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. And so as I'm reading this, the place of my connection is this is tough love from God. This is tough love. You know what I've learned as a pastor and a dad, the part of it that I'm not very good and I don't like, is the tough love part. Do you know what I'm talking about? Tough love is where you got to confront. Tough love is when you can't turn a blind eye. You can't just sweep it under the carpet and say, eh, it's no big deal. Tough love is when you see something that you know is wrong and needs to be dealt with in a lovingly, in a loving way, you have to confront it. You have to deal with it. And so God is giving us some tough love. He's giving uh, the Israelites some tough love. He says, if you keep, if you keep coming here and saying, well, we're protected by God and we, you know, he parted the sea and he destroyed Jericho and he, he's with us, so you better not mess with us because we have the temple, we have the temple, we have the temple. No one can mess with us and then go out and live however you want. As if God doesn't care about how you live or how you treat each other, how you treat the foreigner, how you treat uh, the widow, how you treat the orphan. He, he says you can't have this disconnect anymore. You can't own my protection but not own me as your Lord. You can't come to this temple and use the temple as a point of your own power or own protection. It is given for me to reveal who I am to the world. And so he says, look, this is so important. You need to recognize if you do these things, I will respond accordingly. But unfortunately, they don't. Verse 8, but look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Man, is that true today? Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjure, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have, have, you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. You see, the Israelites, they got confident and cocky in their relationship to God because they're the chosen ones. They're better than everybody else. They can look down their nose at everybody else. Uh, I went to church my whole life. I know the gospel. I'm way better than you bad people, right? I can look down at people because of what I know. This is how they lived. I, it doesn't matter that I gossip. It doesn't matter that I'm a jerk. It doesn't matter that I tell lies. It doesn't matter I have a bad attitude. It doesn't matter that I'm negative all the time. I know the true gospel, therefore I'm better than you. This is the attitude of these Israelites. And God is confronting them and saying, absolutely not. You cannot claim me and then do the very things that deny me. How you treat others shows me what you think of me. Don't ever get that mistaken. Don't ever get confused. How you talk, how you encourage, discourage, uplift, or tear down says more about what you think of me than anything you've ever said in your life. It's amazing that this continues on, this attitude that we're better than everyone. It doesn't matter. We're above you. You're below us. And Jesus has to confront it in Matthew 21, 12. Jesus enters the temple courts, and he drives out all who were buying and selling there. 
And he overturns the table of the money changers and the benches of those who are selling doves. And here's what he says in verse 3. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. If you remember the picture, the Gentile court, Jesus goes in there. Well, the Gentiles just want to know God, and, but they have all these false ideas and they have all, these, all this mess in their life. There's an adulterous woman. There's a tax collector. There's someone who's living a very lost life, but they're seeking God. They want to know who he is. They want to have a right relationship with him. And what do the, the representation of God, the Jews, the, the Hebrews do, the high priest, the priest? Well, they set up tables and, and they sell them overpriced sacrifices and they see a way to make money. And so instead of loving these people and encouraging these people and supporting these Gentiles who are trying to find God, they're using them and they're stealing money from them and they're distorting what the whole message of the temple is. And Jesus comes in and he pushes over it all. And he says, you have totally destroyed the message of the, of the temple and the gospel. Because you've made it about making money. Because you think you're better than the Gentiles. You think you're more important than the Gentiles. You think you're above everything. And that's why you can distort it. You know, we talk about this in our Bible study. The Hebrews, the Hebrews, they hated the Gentiles. The Israelites, they hated the Gentiles. Especially at this time in history when Jesus was around. They believed that God created the Gentiles to be logs for hell's fire. They hated. If your, if your uh, tunic touched a Gentile, you had to burn that tunic. They hated the Gentiles. They hated the Samaritans because they weren't fully Jewish. They had stuck around after the Babylonian captivity, and they hated the Gentiles. And they were, just, they were like Jonah. They were just waiting for God to punish all the bad Gentiles. I can't wait for all these people to get their judgment so they can go to hell is their attitude. And Jesus says, you've missed it. This Gentile court is what God's plan is from the very beginning. My plan for your life is for you to share the Holy Spirit of God, the gospel, to the Gentiles. To the most lost person, to the most separated from God person you know. If you're going to love God as you love your neighbor, as you love yourself, you need to share Jesus with the Gentiles, the most lost of the lost. We're given the answer. It's amazing because remember, anywhere the Pharisees go, we need to go there the opposite direction. And they're trying to figure this all out. So they go to Jesus and they ask him this question, what's the most important? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's what this smart uh, teacher of the law then follows up Jesus with. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jer Jer Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going by at the same time on that road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, let me stop right there. In our modern context, that's me. All right? That's Pastor Mike Bailey. I'm going up to, I'm going up to Daytona, and I'm walking for some reason, and I see someone on, who's beat up, bloodied, all their stuff is stolen, and I'm like, well, I, I don't want to have to be someone at that court case. I don't want to, I got, I got this church, I got to take care of it. I got a lot of people that have a lot of needs. I have a lot on my plate. I'm just going to look the other way and pretend like I didn't see it. So that's the priest. The priest goes by. 
He went to him, uh, so to a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So for a Levite, I'm going to call out my brother Bill, who was leading in the music this morning, because the Levites led the music at the temple, and they were in charge of some of the more deaconess type roles. And so it's like I walk past this person going to Daytona, and then Bill, a deacon here at the church, wherever you are, Bill, I'm sorry, he walked by. And he's like, I have got so many people are asking me to move stuff, and I got so much on my plate, and I'm a busy guy. I'm going to look the other way, too, because I have my thing I've got to get done. And he keeps walking by and leaves this man beat up on the side of the road. But a Samaritan, now this is the equivalent in, in our day right now of possibly a Ukrainian and a Russian. And whichever side you want to pick sees the other on the side of the road, and they have to react. But as the Samaritan, as he was traveling, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went and bandaged his wounds, pouring on it oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him into the inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeepers. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. Which of these three, this is Jesus speaking to this man, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Whatever you believe about loving God, whatever you've been taught about loving God, the example of all the apostles, the example of the first church, and most importantly, the example of Jesus, what we do for others, how we treat others, is the single clearest revealing factor of our love for God. If I love God, I will love people. I will love people with my words. I will love people with my actions. I will love the people that nobody loves. I will love the people that don't love me. God's plan has always been for his people to be so saturated with love that that's what they're known for. And so are we known for that? Am I known for that? Are you known for that? Is Mike Bailey too busy to care about the person on the side of the road, to care about the widow, the orphan, the one in prison? Are you and I more like the the Levite and the priest than the Samaritan? There's a reason Jesus picked the Samaritan, because it was the most unlikely of heroes. And so today, if I want to love God, I need to recognize, as the temple of his Holy Spirit, he loves the Gentiles. He loves the woman caught in adultery. He loves the man who has blindness or has a a lame leg. He loves those from another culture, from another belief, from another view. He loves them so much that he's put you into this world to share his good news with them as his temple. And so... Will we love God with all of our heart? 
Will we love God with all of our soul? Will we love God with all of our mind? Will we love God with all of our strength? And will we love our neighbor as we love the Lord and as we love ourselves? To do this, to do this, we need to ask God's help to love people like he does. If you remember the two pillars, if, I, if we're all honest, it's hard to love everybody, isn't it? It's hard. And part of that is a supernatural love that only God can give you. And so you got to ask him for it, though. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be given. If you ask, you will receive. You need to ask him for a loving heart, a compassionate heart, a heart that's not judgmental or condemning, but a heart that desires the best for every human in your life, that they would all come to know Christ as their Savior. Commit to loving others daily. Make it part of who you are. Write it down. Put it somewhere you'll remember. I need to love people even when they're unlovable. Befriend people who love God. You know the easiest way to love everybody is you get around people who love everybody, and it rubs off on you. When you're around people that love people, you begin to love people. When you're around gossips, you become a gossip. When you're around angry people, you become angry. When you're around people that are always undermining, you become undermining. It's all connected. Get around people that love people, and you will begin to love people. And then finally, serve the church. This is not a building. We are the body of Christ, made up of these little cells of temples where the Holy Spirit dwells in each of us, and we dwell with each other as one in the Lord. And so we serve together. Every one of us has a place within this body. Every one of us that knows Christ as our Savior has a place to serve and minister. Will you commit to doing that? Will you take the next steps to follow him in that? Why? Because when you're twice born, that's all that you want to do, is to serve your heavenly Father. John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit, unless they are born again. If you're born again, then you are a temple of God. If you're a temple of God, then you want to love him in all of these ways. I've said a lot. What is God saying to you is more important than anything I have to say. What is God saying directly to your heart right now? Let's take a moment to allow him to make that clear to all of us. Let's pray.